listening to DesignWise, a podcast about the business of architecture, art, and interior design. I'm your host, Jessica Shabbat. On this episode, I met with artist Carolyn Mackin at her studio in Wellesley, Mass. to discuss how she got started, what influences her art, and how she uses social media to market her work to a broader audience. But before we jump into that conversation, Carolyn has a special offer for the listeners of this podcast. You can learn more about this opportunity at the end of the episode. Now let's go to our conversation. I'm really excited to talk to you today about creating art and what it is that you do. But we're going to start the conversation today with two different questions. So where did you grow up and when did you realize you loved creating? Um, I grew up here in Massachusetts. Um, I was in Waltham when I was younger um, and then my parents divorced and um, my mom moved just out to the Shrewsbury area and my dad was in Watertown. So I kind of grew up between those two places Mm -hmm. in my middle school and high school years. And I'm sorry, what was the second question? (laughs) That's okay. Um, When did you realize you were wanted to create? Um, As far as realizing when um, I was a creator or wanted to create, I... There wasn't like a moment. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I just always net was naturally drawn to the creative process. Mm-hmm. So my mom knew that I could just, you know, if she just gave me some paper and crayons, I could be um, happy for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, she loves to tell this story of when um, I was about to turn three. So for the two weeks prior to that, she just bought this long brown paper tablecloth and had me color it and just I literally spent like it was my first masterpiece I think (laughs) I spent like two weeks just coloring this big tablecloth and then I and then I continued on with all the the paper goodie bags and then I made the paper hats I just decorated everything Uh basically and it kept me busy for two weeks wow that's a smart mom yeah (laughs) (laughs) she knew what you were into and decided to just go for it she did. Um, my parents were always supportive mm-hmm. of my um, artistic inclinations, and so I'm very grateful to them for that. And so you went to school for photography, right? I did, yes. So what was what made you decide to go into photography first? So um, I was always creating as a child and tried out many different things, and it was during my high school years that I started feeling like a gravitational pull towards photography. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something about like having that camera in my hand um, and going out into the world and exploring and then capturing a beautiful moment and then going back into the dark room. At that time, it's going to age me a bit, but <laughs> um, being able to, you know, to, like do some artsy black and white type photography, going into that dark room and seeing um, the prints develop sort of magically in, in front of me, I just found that really fascinating mm-hmm. and beautiful and um, in a wonderful way to pay attention to the world around me. And so, um, and then I started dressing up my siblings and my neighbors in my like esprit clothing like the brand esprit (laughs) and doing photo shoots with them and I just I just found it fascinating and really fun and so um when it came to I knew that I wanted to go to art school Mm -hmm. um 
and when it came time to choose a major, I just felt like photography felt like the thing I was most interested in at the time. So when you say you knew you wanted to go to art school at the at the time, I guess my question is, is like, um, did you feel like being an art major was something that you could make a living at? Because I know that that is a lot of fear, right? With people going into creative fields that they may not be able to, they spend all this money or they have this education and they might not be able to actually find a job. Um, totally. I, um, I totally get that. But I think that while it was definitely a concern and sort of a big question mark and mm-hmm. an unknown, a, a mystery of sorts, there wasn't really anything else that I felt so passionately about and so excited about. And um, it just really felt like it was being truthful to me and, mm-hmm. and, my, and my love and passion. And so, um, and I think also because I had parents who were supportive of it, mm-hmm. they they never made me feel like I wouldn't be able to do it or I wouldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I decided to be an art major um, in high school, they just supported me and helped me look around for the best art school that you know that would fit me. And so where did you end up going to school? Um, I ended up at Syracuse University. Um, for me, I loved that school because it has such a great art program, but it also... Um, it also has a lot of other majors. I was mm-hmm. a little bit concerned about going to a school that was just primarily all arts. Um, I had this um, fear of everybody wearing black and being depressed. <laughs> and <laughs> I, like the tortured artist. Cool. The tortured <laughs> artist where everybody was just against everything. Right. And, and very negative and 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 I know that that's a complete stereotype um but I just didn't necessarily think that that was what I wanted to surround myself with Mm -hmm. and I liked that idea of going to a university where there were a lot of options not that I thought that I would switch majors but just that I could have friends um that were studying all different things Mm -hmm. well and I think art school I imagine would give you the opportunity to see hopefully that not every artist is the same and that each artist expresses themselves in a different way. And so if somebody is more negative, right, and that's their their thing, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be that way, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's not to say that I think being in my teens and early 20s didn't bring out, I think, some of that natural angst that mm-hmm. a lot of us go through um, and that I still didn't feel those emotions and have that sort of rebellion as well. But um, but I think in general, um, and I didn't have words to it at that point, I think I can look back now because of the spiritual journey that I've been on in mm-hmm. my life and really just understand that I just really needed to be around positive people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and um, yeah, it's interesting to think back to that now. I haven't actually thought through this. I'm like, I'm starting to process things as we're talking now. That's okay. That's that's good. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> it is really, it's really good. Thank you for asking these um, insightful questions. Hmm. But um, yeah, I think that Syracuse did just give me a really good start to my artistic career and put a lot of really great people in my path and um 
and I was able to, it was such a big place too, that it was, is easy to find Mm -hmm. other like-minded people there. Yeah. So at some point you, did you finish um, school in photography or did you switch to painting midway through school? Because I know there was a transition there, right? There was a transition Mm -hmm. there. And, um, I not only, um, stayed focused on photography, um, through my undergraduate degree, I also, um, after five years of being out in the workforce, went back to get my master's in fine art and was again, um, focused in photography. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. then tell, t- tell us how you went from photography to painting, which is what you do now. Cause yes. I imagine that must've been a big shift, right? It or... was a very big shift. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I will say this, I think that I, my photography work wasn't just straight photography and I was never a commercial photographer. I never did portraits or weddings or that type of thing. I was always a fine art photographer. So the purpose, like the intention was for that work to go into galleries and be fine art, just Mm -hmm. as my paintings are. Um, And I often use the photograph as a starting point and then I would paint on top of them Mm, or manipulate them digitally. I worked for many years out in San Francisco as a digital imager, so I was doing high-end Photoshop work Mm -hmm. and um, a lot of photo retouching and things of that sort. And so um, when, um, so after doing that for many, many years and um, showing my photography, I, what happened was, is I felt like I was sitting in front of the computer more Mm -hmm. than I was indulging in the creative process. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, editing the photographs, um, sort of maintaining them, especially once things switched from, um, from being on film to being digital, it was just, you could take so many more pictures and then it was a matter of processing them. And Mm -hmm. things have gotten quicker with that, those technology, with technology over the years to be able to process them in a much more efficient way. But for many years, I just kind of sat in front of a computer um, and would only shoot on occasion. Mm -hmm. And um, fast forward many years later, um, when I started my, I met my husband and started having a family, um, I was at home with my children and I was just feeling so compelled to be really tactile with the creative process. Mm -hmm. And I started having dreams of painting with large canvases. And it was like this, um, I don't know, it was just this internal like voice calling me to paint. Mm -hmm. But I was petrified of the blank white canvas. Like literally had no idea what I would ever put on a blank white canvas. And, um, and that fear stayed with me for many years. Um, did, I, did it inhibit you from doing it? Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. Completely. And there were so many excuses as to why I couldn't put paint on canvas. One of them was like, well, if I'm going to do it, like I need to do it right. And I need to know what the best paints are. And I mm-hmm. need to know what the best painting surface is. And I like, and I just don't know those things. And I've already gone to school and like, I don't want to go back to school. And like, I just want to paint, but I also don't know what I'm doing. So I don't Mm -hmm. even know if I go to an art store, what to buy and where to start. And so, um, there were so many fears that I had around it. So how did you overcome that? So, um, 
through a friend of mine, a fellow artist friend of mine, I found out about um, this website. It was called Do What You Love. Hmm. And um, on that website, the woman had a bunch of different artists that she was featuring. And one of them happened to be this artist by the name of Flora Bowley. She's, um, she's a brilliant painter out of Portland, Oregon. And um, Flora was just about to teach her first online workshop. It was a five-week course, and it, had, it happened to be starting just a few days after I had discovered her. And there was just that light bulb moment of just like, I know I'm supposed to do this. Hmm. I think this is the thing that's going to allow me to start really painting. And it was exactly what I needed um, for so many reasons. Um, but one of the first things was that she just gave us like a shopping list and said, you know, these are the, this is the brand of paint to get, like, this is the painting surface. Like these are the nuts and bolts of what you need to start the class. Uh And, um, and then I realized through the five weeks, um, through the process of taking the class, how to paint intuitively. Mm -hmm. And, um, that just was enough to get me started um and I haven't been able to stop painting since then so how long ago was that that was seven years ago okay so for the last seven have you really done any photography since then or have you pretty much like gone away from photography altogether so I have not um I don't shoot anymore for fine art purposes Mm -hmm. although I suspect at some point that may come back um because I still love photography and I love the final result of photography like I I absolutely love it I actually shoot more now than I did as a photographer really I do (laughs) (laughs) so just to in for um in order to document the paintings that I'm doing, the process, mm-hmm. um, having content for social media, I find myself shooting every day. And sometimes it's just with my phone, but often I'm actually still getting out my, my big professional camera and my lenses. I mean, I did a whole big photo shoot yesterday just documenting all my latest paintings that I've completed so is that so you can put them like on your website for sale or is it to send them to galleries or it's for my website for a website and social media Mm -hmm. yeah and I had a newsletter that I was putting out last night too so Mm -hmm. I needed um some specific pictures for that well that's great I mean now you get to kind of do both things I do so run me through a little bit of what as far as painting like what your creative process is like how do you start now that you have started (laughs) Um, it depends on what I'm painting and, um, and whether there's a client involved or not. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not, if it's, so basically I, I feel like I have, um, two almost different ways of painting or, um, objectives when I paint. One, um, is that I try to like three or four times a year release a collection of work and so that's self-driven that those are projects that I just come up with on my own Mm -hmm. um, that I feel compelled to make and that um, I and that I want to sort of do a deep dive and indulge into a certain um, certain something you know whether it 
whether it's a certain color palette or just a certain type of work or the scale of the work. Mm -hmm. um, from um, last year, for instance, I created these um, small sculptural um, pieces called art stacks. And so they were, they're three um, small pieces on wood mm -hmm. on, that are about inch and a half deep and six inches um, in um, width and height. And then I stack three of them on top of one another. Mm -hmm. And um, they become these little, they look like little boxes, but they're just really a stack of artwork. Um, and so I really um, indulged in that process and making those. Most recently, I created my Magical Places collection, and that was all about painting big and loose and being really emotive with the work. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the process for, say, beginning a painting often just feels like taking a deep breath, mm -hmm. putting on some good music, and um, just starting to put paint on canvas without overthinking it too much. Is that, do you think that, um, are you somebody who would overthink something otherwise? Yes. <laughs> um, um, I would say my former self is mm -hmm. someone who would overthink things. Um, and it kind of goes back to my art school background and, um, and why that class with Flora Bowley changed everything for me. Um, so in art school, we learn how to be very self-critical. It's all about that critique. You mm -hmm. build up this work, and then you realize you need to actually be able to defend it. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a often, especially in graduate school, in a pretty harsh critique environment. And um, what happened for me is that I lost the the um, spontaneity and the creative process mm -hmm. because I was already trying to figure out how I was going to explain the work before I had actually even created it mm -hmm. rather than letting the creative process drive the work. And um, so a lot of what I learned through that first online workshop that I took seven years ago was just how to let go of that self-criticism, mm -hmm. how to just be in the moment and how to, um, to realize that you can, you can, start to put color down on canvas and then you can let that dry and then completely transform that painting in a few hours or the next day like that it's always evolving I think that speaks a lot to your probably self-awareness because I always think yeah. that you have the best growth and as a person when you can be self-aware of what your natural instincts are yes. and kind of work on either tamping that down or you know manipulating it a little bit. I mean, you can't really change some of your innate personality traits, but if you, you know, can be aware of them, then you can kind of shift the focus a little bit, which it sounds like you have done that quite well. I mean, it's very obvious in your work that you don't, you know, you kind of let it go in a beautiful way. So thank you. Um, yeah, I think that we are, um, I think that we are just creatures of habit a lot of times and that those personality traits or those things we think that are inherent in us and sort of like not, not changeable are actually really you can transform and change yourself. Um, I think we don't give ourselves enough credit in that department. Um, and I used to feel so much more anxious and um, stressed about life. And so 
the the painting process has just been this beautiful metaphor for um, a letting go and a embracing of what is right now and not focusing on the future and worrying mm. about that so much. That I think ties to to the the con the new trend right now of mindfulness of like being like really in the moment. It seems yeah. like painting almost forces you to be that way. It does. It does. I think. Um, I think that with my photography work, with the editing part of it, it became um, just very much like a production line, mm-hmm. and there. So I didn't feel like I was growing and evolving. But you're right. With the painting process, you just, with each stroke of paint, um, there you can see the change happening immediately, and um, that immediacy I think is really amazing in a lot of ways and um and not don't get me wrong you I could I could be painting and seeing the change and still be critical in my head and still not really being enjoying that process do you think it's really intuitive when you're painting like if something just doesn't quite feel right or because I mean I I don't know if you classify your art, but to me, it seems abstract. Do you it think is. That? Okay. I, I do consider myself an okay. abstract painter, yes. <laughs> I don't want to label you. Yeah, you yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine with abstract art, it's not like a bowl of fruit where it's very obvious because you're looking at the bowl of fruit that, Correct. you know, the, the shape of the pear is like a little bit off. Right. You know, here, really, like, you know, I wouldn't know by looking at it if something wasn't right. Correct. Necessarily. Right. So do you feel like a lot of like what you do is very intuitive? Like you put the paint on and you're like, okay, this doesn't quite feel balanced to me or the color is not quite right or I want more of this or... You got it. That is, <laughs> that is exactly it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, for me, the um, it is a very intuitive process. And, um, and I think that that's why it's also become a spiritual practice for me because delving into that intuition... Um, helps me in all aspects of life, not just whether I should put down red in that left corner or whether I should add blue. You know, it's um, it helps me to make decisions in life in general and just not to agonize over them. That was going to be my next question. If you found you're more decisive now because of it. I'm, I'm, um, it's interesting. That's such a good question. I am, I don't, find that I stress or agonize over decisions. Sometimes it doesn't mean that I'm able to make a really quick decision, Mm -hmm. but I'm okay in the in-between, in the sort of ruminating on it, or even just the letting go of, of it. Like I'm not, I'm not overanalyzing things in my head constantly anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I know that I have, if I know I have a decision to make on something, I can know that I have the decision, I could also just sort of decide I'm going to go to yoga and I'm going to go or I'm going to just go like veg out and watch TV for a bit and I'm not going to analyze it to death. I'm not going to, it doesn't mean that I don't do research and Mm -hmm. I don't think through and try to problem solve something, but there's, there's such an important piece to just giving each decision, especially an important decision, some space. Mm-hmm. Um, because then often I feel like after I'm sort of recharged um, or done a meditation or gone to yoga, then the answer just becomes clear to me. Mm-hmm. 
and it, it doesn't have to feel like a big struggle to get to that decision. Hmm, that makes sense. Now, do you work on multiple paintings at once or do you like to start one and then follow it to completion and then start another one? I always have so many paintings in process. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's really important to my process for me. I never just have one painting that I begin and then bring to full completion. Um, and then I don't work linearly like that. Mm -hmm. I don't. So um, there's maybe only been one or two times where I've actually like completed a painting within a matter of hours or one day. Um, but I'm always kind of moving back and forth between different paintings. Um, I find often I, I put so much energy into one painting and then it gets to a point where I feel like it looks good, but maybe is not quite there yet. And mm -hmm. for a lot of the reasons you've already brought up, like it just doesn't feel balanced or there's something like sort of, um, kind of like catching my eye in the wrong way where it just doesn't feel right or it doesn't feel like it's flowing. And so I think that's often a really good time to just put it aside and then um, come back to it when I feel um, that I'm ready for it. Do you know what the longest you've let something go, like a painting go, like the longest you've worked on something? Yes. <laughs> Years. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. I'm like, do yeah. you ever like, put it away for like a long time and then come back to it? I have. Mm -hmm. um, there are a couple of paintings that I've just completed recently that I've been working on for two years wow. and um and you know there probably been and it's not like I'm working on like putting paint on them every day or every week but I started them two years ago um and I remember it because I just come back from a painting retreat in Morocco and um and felt really excited and started a whole bunch of paintings and mm -hmm. many of them I brought to completion within a month or two or even a couple weeks and then there were these three paintings that just baffled me and I just every time I thought oh they're almost done I'd like do something else and then I just they just never felt right to me mm -hmm. um so yeah it's that there were these three paintings that um took me on and off like two years to complete so when that happens you find you get more emotionally attached to those paintings because they've been around longer like if you have two years which are kind of going back and forth <sighs> that's such a good question not necessarily mm -hmm. like some of my paintings that like there's one particular painting I feel really attached to right now and that one just flowed out of me mm -hmm. it just flowed out of me and it probably took a couple weeks and um or maybe even less and I just feel really connected to it um do you have a hard time giving those ones up like if you had ones that you like there there's you know you just felt so good about it that you don't want to let it leave yeah there, so there's <laughs> I in general I usually say no like I'm able to let go of them and mm -hmm. that was a big mindset shift for me too because I used to think of them all as my babies mm -hmm. and it's so hard to let them go. And w while it is, I also am so not interested in being a hoarder. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't think they look good when they're all just stacked up around my studio. Mm -hmm. Like they're not doing what they're meant to do, which is to go out into the world and put a smile on people's faces and promote conversation mm -hmm. and um, hopefully... Um, 
be something that other people find beautiful. And so um, in that way, it feels amazing when I sell the work and it leaves my studio. Um, and most, like probably 80% of my paintings, I actually see where they go. That's nice. Like a lot of them are go to local people or the or the clients send me pictures and mm-hmm. I actually know exactly where it, it's living and it does, it feels really good because for me, part of it is also the connections that I make to my clients and those relationships and friendships that I build. So, and you work with some interior designers, right? I do. So, and how does that relationship work as far as do they, they're promoting you with their clients or their homeowners that they're doing a space or they come and say, hey, I'm doing this room and I need something that looks kind of like this or is this scale? So do you have an idea? Can you describe that? Yeah, definitely. I absolutely love working with interior designers. Um, I think because I'm like at heart, like in my heart, I'm sort of an interior designer as well. Like I just love home decor. I absolutely love my to see where my artwork lives and I love my artwork to coordinate and look great within a space. Mm-hmm. Um I work with interior designers in many different ways, and it just really depends on their needs. Um, sometimes an interior designer just connects me directly with a client, and then I um, and then I um, either sell something that I already have made to that client, or I'm then potentially um, making something custom for them. Um, sometimes the interior designer is involved throughout the process, and sometimes they're a little bit more hands off. The relationship is pretty um, pretty fluid and different with each designer. Mm-hmm. and um, But often I'm working together as sort of a team with both the client and with the designer and getting their input um, on a custom piece. So when it's a custom piece, do people generally let you kind of do your own thing, but you're making it for the space. And so you see the space and you're like, okay, this is what I think needs. This is my vision for the artwork that's going to go in this space. Or are sometimes the client or the designer, whichever it may be, are they more specific as like, we want green and blue, or it needs to be, you know, three, you know, three different canvases kind of all stacked in a row. That's called a triptych, right? Yeah, it is called a triptych. You got it. (laughs) That's the word I was going to say it wrong. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, you got it. Diptych um, for two and triptych for three. Okay. Um, yes to all of that. So, um, often with, um, with the custom pieces, I'll go into the home, I'll meet with the, um, interior designer if they're involved and the client and we're, often looking at the whole picture mm-hmm. so we're looking we're coming up with the size of the piece and whether it's going to be you know square or rectangle whether it's going to hang horizontally or vertically mm-hmm. we kind of just get down to the nuts and bolts of um what it is that will look best there um and by that i mean um did the does the client like something that feels a little bit more flowy or an, inorganic or do they like my work that um, feels a little more geometric Mm -hmm. and more like an abstract cityscape so I start to put words around the abstract nature of my work Um, and I always just start with hire me because you love my work and my style Mm -hmm. like don't ask me to create something that looks like another artist's work or Mm -hmm. um, because I'm just not willing to do that so um, 
because I think in the end, nobody's going to be happy if I'm just sort of copying somebody else's work. And that also doesn't feel good to me as an artist. Mm -hmm. So I always kind of start with like, hire me if you love my work. And then we can, and then we'll figure out the language of what's going to look best here. But um, once that's been just, you know, um, once that's been, um, what's the word? Established. Yes. Thank you. So once that's been established that um, that the clients love the work, my my style, um, we do start to talk about colors. We are looking at, around at what else is going on in the room. We're looking at the sofa colors. I'm taking pictures of those things in their room. Um, I'm often listening to their stories and mm-hmm. you know what they love and what they want to sort of evoke in the painting. Um, so much of abstract work is about the emotion behind it. So um, and I think there's a lot of feeling. So whether they want the artwork to feel um, more serene and peaceful, because maybe it's going into a bedroom, or what maybe they want it to have more of like the energetic pulse of a city and something a little bit more exciting with a lot of movement. Um, so we have all those conversations. Um, and then, um, and then I always make a couple of pieces. So often, um, you know, especially if there's a husband and a wife that are really involved in the process, Mm -hmm. they may really want different things. Mm -hmm. So making multiples, um, gives me a chance to kind of free up as an artist and to try out different ideas. Um, and then my my job, I feel, is to make it a really hard decision for them in the end that they love both and that they really want um, and that they have a hard time deciding between mm-hmm. the two. So what happens to that other canvas? Do you then, if they don't, if they pick one and then there's another one, do you yep. then sell that one? Or I destroy you... it. No. <laughs> 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 no, yes, I, it goes right up on my website, yeah. and then that's for sale for somebody else mm-hmm. to, to find and love. So do you, this might be, um, I feel like this is an interesting question, but if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Um, <laughs> do you think it's harder to paint for somebody you don't like? Like, have you had a client that you just really didn't get, like, the best vibe from them, but obviously mm-hmm. you have to make a living, so. I love, I love this question, actually, um. You know what the funny thing is, Jessica, is that I haven't painted for anybody I haven't really liked. You are very lucky. (laughs) I am so lucky, but I also think that like attracts like. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying through social media and just through my daily interactions with people to put out what I want to experience in the world. And... um, you know, it's, it's law of attraction. Mm -hmm. So it, so I tell people all the time, like, I just want to work with other people that are fun and that are easy to work with Mm -hmm. and joyful and happy people. And that's what I keep getting. And so, um, and I think there, it's not to say that I haven't encountered potential clients that I could that I get that sense that oh this could be like a really difficult thing and um often those people just sort of go away Hmm. like it just doesn't work out and I just don't end up working with them like you're too happy for them (laughs) (laughs) like they meet you and they're like she's too happy for me to I don't think I I don't know. I don't I know. I think if that's, that's possible, the... though, because I think somebody who thrives on negativity, like if somebody's a really negative person, 
you know, that's not going to be there. That's good. You know, too much yin and yang almost. Yeah. I mean, what I'm finding in general is like, so if I say encounter, like encountered a, a person who's just complaining about something, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be the weather or their child or whatever for that day. I just don't really like play into it or I just don't help promote that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try to switch the subject or bring up something else, but I just, um, they may not feel like they're connecting to me because I may not be helping them like propel that, that negative conversation. So, um, and in a lot of times, you know, just because I meet with a client doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be working together. Mm -hmm. So I think that sometimes I just get a sense that, the ones that were going to be more difficult. Um, and it may not even be that it was um, a client that's necessarily negative or maybe not good. They could be a, not a good fit for me for other right. reasons. Um, sometimes it is because they really have an idea of something else that they want, that they've seen in a magazine or on Pinterest, and they want me to uh, essentially copy right. that. And I just, I'm just pretty clear up front that I Mm -hmm. don't want to do that. Plus, I think, I mean, art is an investment, right? Yes, Um, definitely. I think it's really important for anybody listening that if you find something that you really connect with or you connect with the artist, that only helps your long-term enjoyment of the piece, right? Because every time you look at that piece in your home, you think about the good experience and the relationship you have with the person that made it if you're very fortunate enough to know the person who made it, which not everybody is. But then, you know, it just even reinforces how much you love that piece, which you really should love the piece. I, yes, yes, yes to all of that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, I just think that you could walk into a store. I don't want to name any stores, but you could walk into a store that sells, you know, beautiful reproductions of mm-hmm. artwork and put something on your wall that looks really good, but most likely you're not going to have an emotional attachment to it. Mm-hmm. Um, most likely it could just become a piece that gets switched out in a few years when you get bored of it or sick of it. Um, I am like to believe and hope that, um, that the connection that I have to my artwork um, is also... Um, that, that my clients also feel the same way about the artwork um, and that it is a piece that they feel like in the future they would want to decorate around again mm-hmm. if they were to change things up in their home and that they would want to keep um, always and have. Um, and I do think that I create um, or that I have a real strong emotional connection to my clients and um, to my buyers so that actually brings me to something that I had in my notes for today, but uh-huh. the, it seems to me that with, cause you mentioned, you know, Pinterest and like going into stores that there's, at least to me, that there's been a kind of a gap in generations between mm. when people really appreciated and bought art mm. and then it was really easy to get, you know, home decorating things from Target and then gallery walls became really popular. So for family photography was kind of splashed everywhere. And then it's like original arts, people almost like not stopped buying it, but it became less of something people wanted to focus on. I think that that I'm hoping that is kind of coming around. I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are about that. Yeah. I'm not, um, I've never really thought about it from that perspective. Um, 
And while I do think that those home good type of stores where you can get um, so that, um, mass produced artwork have become popular and sort of easy in a way, mm-hmm. um, I do think that they're pieces that probably get switched out fairly often as mm-hmm. people get bored with them. But um, as far as gallery walls, I mean, that's just another way of showcasing artwork. I mean, people used to have like salon type, um, uh, they would display it in a salon type way, meaning like floor to ceiling with, mm-hmm. and that was like the original gallery wall, I think. Um, I think from um, my perspective and being an artist who is also a collector who buys artwork and um, and I pretty much will only buy original artwork. Um, uh, even in gallery walls, people are using original pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not to say that you can't go on to Minted or somewhere else um, and purchase prints and, um, and have those as part of a gallery wall too. I think that there's nothing wrong with sort of mixing it too, having mm-hmm. a, some originals and some prints and, um, cause I understand that original artwork is more expensive too. Um, I think it's also that, um, as you get older and maybe can afford more mm-hmm. that you start to upgrade those pieces. I was going to ask, do you think there's in some ways for say people that are younger, let's say twenties and early thirties, mm-hmm. that there's a little bit of a barrier to entry price point wise with buying original art. Um, not really mm-hmm. like not today. I think that because of social media, um, you can go on Instagram and find so many artists that are making original artwork and selling it at really low prices. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're if you find an emerging artist whose work you love and you can get some amazing deals that way, and you know Etsy is another great mm-hmm. source. I know I use Etsy a lot. Yeah, so. Um, I don't think that there's really a barrier for getting original artwork. Um, you know, certainly um, a smaller piece of mine would be very affordable. My mm-hmm. artwork starts at 30 and $60 um, mm-hmm. for original pieces and goes up from there. That's very reasonable. I was actually going to ask you how you price your artwork. I do price by size. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, so those so there are those pieces that start at thirty and sixty dollar range. Um, a large like um, a large piece that would maybe look good over a sofa, which is like a, a three by four, thirty six mm-hmm. by forty eight inch size, is twenty six hundred. Mm-hmm. So, but even that is for that size is I think reasonable. Once I decided that I was going to be a painter and saw what was possible with social media, mm-hmm. I felt very empowered and decided, made a, a decision not to go back into the gallery world as I had been with my photography mm-hmm. work. And one of the main reasons for that was to keep the work more affordable. Mm-hmm. And I recognized that $2,600 for a 36 by 48 isn't cheap, but it's also something that a lot of people um, can afford or um, save up for mm-hmm. for that statement piece that's gonna go in that really prominent spot in your home and be really and be a really special feature to that room. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point because I think 
part of my the genesis of my question is, is like if you go into say a gallery on Newberry Street and you mm-hmm. look at something that's a similar size to say three uh, you know 36 by 48 it's like $25,000 and you yeah. get this notion in your head that oh okay this art is expensive really correct. expensive correct and I can either have a car or I can have right. this yes. painting yes. and most people you know for a large portion of the population that seems completely out of reach and they maybe don't know that you know you actually can find stuff that you know, is original. I'm a big proponent of original art. I think it's really important. It really is what makes a home feel like a home. And there should be stories around, like, you should look at pieces and really know where you got it from and why you have it, you know. And, you know, they rarely depreciate in value, so it's a good, you know, investment. I think of it as an investment. Yes. Um, But I think a lot of people don't, they're not, almost not even sure where to start. You know, they don't have exposure or... I completely agree with everything you just said, and um, and thank you for saying all of that too. Um, I think that that's why social media has been so important mm-hmm. to me in trying to educate people and getting the word out, um, and why original artwork is so important and what it can add to your life, um, and. And I don't want to knock galleries because I do love walking into galleries, but I understand that they can be really intimidating mm-hmm. for people. And like you said, the price, the prices can be extraordinary. Um, and I really didn't have control over my pricing when I was showing at galleries. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like I do try to price my pieces now um, in a place where, you know, that a lot of people could afford or at least start with something smaller um, and then as they're able to you know maybe get bigger pieces I think it, it sounds like to me that you are doing all the right things as far as that's concerned so how did you decide that you wanted to go into promoting yourself on social media so heavily social media for me started with a focus on Instagram and because I was finding other like-minded artists there and I really wanted to connect with them. Mm -hmm. And when I first started painting seven years ago, I really was still like very much in a absorbing sponge kind of learning process. Um, And it was just such a great way to learn from other artists, connect with them and find this community of other like-minded people. And um, it, over the years, I've realized that it's also helped me to articulate what it is I'm actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, although I see it very much as a way to communicate with other people, it also really helps me um, each day when I sit down to write a post to really think about where am I at right now? What, um, you know, what would be most hope, helpful for me to process what's you know, what's going on with my artwork and in my mind for the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to take advantage of that. It's almost like a journal of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, But then the, one of the, I think the greatest aspects to social media is just the being able to connect with other people and being able to connect to my clients directly. And um, I just have a lot of fun with that. (laughs) Do you get a lot of um, inquiries about your artwork from social media? Do you like Facebook or Instagram better? Do you have a preference? 
Um, I prefer Instagram, mm-hmm. but I also really love Facebook. I think a lot of my clients are on Facebook, and mm-hmm. so um, so I think it's important for me to be there. Um, but I have to say that there's a lot more um, interaction on Instagram for mm-hmm. me. There, people are more apt to engage and actually comment on Instagram for some reason. Well, Instagram, I think, interestingly enough, is a very visual social media. So I yeah. think artwork in particular is it's very well-suited on Instagram. It's a great way to showcase what you're doing. So I just wanted to thank you for having me over to your studio today. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think our listeners will too. Thank you for having me, Jessica. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Carolyn has a special offer for the listeners of this episode. She has a free three-page guide about how to get the artwork of your dreams by collaborating with the right artist. You can find a link to the download in the show notes. Also make sure to check out Carolyn's website at www.carolynmackin.com. You will not be disappointed. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This podcast was sponsored by Hawthorne Builders. Make sure to follow us on all social media platforms. Until next time.